When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host Callahan and today we are doing something a little bit different. Today we'll be traveling back almost two years and revisiting my conversation with Cobblepot about deck building philosophy, which also coincidentally is our very first episode of the show. But before we jump into that, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons for all the support you give. Uh, Your support is what enables us to be able to continue the show and put on events like the MLC. One of the benefits of being a patron is access to our Discord server, where you can join our awesome community for all sorts of discussions around spoilers and deck building. And sometimes you can talk about sports. We do that there, too. Uh, You know, all that good stuff. The big change coming for patrons is that here soon we will be debuting a new segment called Dear Sculpty Boys, where you can write into the show and ask us for advice or our thoughts on decks, how to handle particular metas, card evaluations, all that jazz. This is going to be available to our patrons only. So if you want to get in on the action and have your questions answered, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors and support us there. I also want to mention, don't forget to rate us on Spotify or Apple podcasts. That really helps us out on growing on those platforms as well. If you review us on Apple podcasts, I'll make sure to give you a shout out in the next episode. Uh, those sorts of things, as well as liking and subscribing on YouTube or leaving a comment on YouTube are massively helpful and really help us grow as a channel and as a group so that we can continue to provide great content and uh, hopefully benefits for you guys uh, as supporters of the show. With all of that said, let's jump into my conversation with Cobblepot. You're like one of the people who a lot of people look to as like one of the big like deck building. You really push the boundaries with deck building. And um, so how did you even get into uh, CEDH to begin with? So I, I, I first learned about Commander uh, from my brother-in-law. And okay. um, he was way into it. And he had a, a group of friends who got together every, every week. And uh, they played and they had a good time. And they invited me in. And I had a good time too and thought it was really great. And, uh, you know, being a kind of a internet savvy bookish person, I was always yeah. going around trying to find what was going on in MTG salvation, which was the, the, the place oh, to man. go back then yeah. for, for, you know, what was happening in the EDH. And I discovered, um, French or dual yep. commander, which was kind of this little sub format that was taking place, uh, mainly in France, but also kind of, there were little 
silos huddled together in, in a couple of other places. Uh, um, n- none in the U.S. <laughs> of but, course. <laughs> um, they and there there were some really really cool things that people were doing, and it was it was sort of like a blending of what people had done in legacy or vintage, right. kind of using the card pool that was available to EDH. And um, I mean, obviously that's dual, so it's it, it wasn't mm-hmm. a four player. Um, so there was really heavy into things like thought cast. The you had your 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 thought sees and your inquisition right. of code select, and you know um, the things that you don't see in EDH because it's heads up stuff and, that looks a lot more like what you would see in modern and legacy as far as like hand disruption and things like right. that. So uh, what when when people when when people today make comments about CDH and say that, well, it's just like vintage, go play vintage, go play legacy. Um, <laughs> that, that argument holds water for, for French because mm-hmm. the, the, the cards that C play are very similar. Um, right. Whereas in four player, the, the, what we use is, is, is very different because you want to use what is going to maintain value in, in right. a four player. Um, but that was where I first started, uh, trying to push a little bit into the competitive stuff. Okay. And, and that was actually where, um, where Boonweaver actually got started oh, man. as well. So I, I, uh, one of the guys in our local meta game uh, for our local league still plays Carador Boonweaver to this day. You. Oh, sure. Um, and I mean, he'll, he'll knock out games. He'll always finish in like the top 10. Like it's still a good, good deck. I, I mean, so, so what happened was, when partners came to be, <laughs> I, I think it was within a month or two, we, we had partners and um, uh, Protean Hulk got unbanned. Like, yeah. with, you know, it, it was very, very uh, close in time that those those two events took place. And I mean, if, if you know the history of Boon Weaver, the, the idea is that you're you're really trying to approximate kind of what people, the degenerate stuff that people did with Protean Hulk. Right. And um, it was like, oh, well, you know, if you use Pattern of Rebirth, you can you can kind of do this thing that's <laughs> sort of similar and kind of, you know, the same idea. It's not as good. Um, but getting Protean Hulk and getting partners to be able to get access to blue mm-hmm. and, you know, be able to, to get access to a, a lot more card advantage to the corridor, corridor just never was able to get a hold of. Yeah, it's just it's it's very interesting how partners and like these good five color commanders have just warped the metagame. So the, the the thing that partners gives you is the, the the flexibility to have access to color. I mean, in in you know in the old days before partners was a th- or you know, before partners was a thing, you know you you looked kind of on 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 two axes. You the one axis that you're looking at is okay what. What what is the power that my commander is giving me? So you're looking at Zur, mm-hmm. you're looking at Jaleva, you're looking at Corridor, and um, you've you've got that that interesting ability mm-hmm. that it's giving you, and then you've got kind of this set of colors that comes along for the ride, and you know you're you're trying to think of okay, what sort of combos, what sort of patterns of play am I going to try to pull off um, that are going to fit with that that ability that will also fit into that color uh set and um the the advent of partners just allowed you to make those decisions separately instead of having one uh be dependent upon the other so being able to say i would like card advantage 
and a curiosity engine and <laughs> also get to choose what colors it is that that's actually right. going to be applied into. Um, and I mean, that's, it's no secret that that has completely and utterly changed the way that people oh, approach yeah. deck building. And I mean, and that that's really good because I mean, like, so one of the things we really, uh, when we were talking before that I really wanted to talk about is, uh, is really the deck building, how you make decks and how you brew. Um, and so when it really comes into that, so you talked about how, like, um, you know, it changes the way that you're thinking and starting to strategize, uh, with, you know, how you're going to start and build your decks. Um, so for you, um, what is it that's that first thing that you really start with to build your deck around? So, um, so when, when you're looking at the initial concept phase of a deck, there's it, it, you're, you're either going to, you're, you're going to do one of three things, let's say. So either you're, you're starting with the commander and, um, the, the commander itself is giving you something that's really interesting or something that's really novel that you want to try to see the extent to which you can exploit it. Okay. So um, Yarrick with the doubling ability or um, Inala mm-hmm. with her eminence ability. Um, these are things that add a dimension to play that you don't get and you can't get with any other commander. Right. Um, so sometimes I'll start with that if the commander is offering something that you literally can't get Right. In, an, in any other circumstance. And so you've, you've got that commander. Now that commander has chosen your color. And um, from there, you that, that's kind of like chosen the trajectory that you're going to move. And then your choices from there are kind of what, what kind of, how are you going to decorate that? How are you right. going to, what, what's the framework in which you're going to try to make that either as consistent or efficient as possible or as reliable and resilient as possible? You know, those, those kinds of decisions then kind of dictate the rest of what goes into the deck. Right. Um, if, if you're not starting with commander, maybe you're starting with a combo. So like shadow bag, for instance, yeah. um, shadow bag is, is, is really, it started in, in Yogmoth just as a way of um, trying to improve the consistency with mm-hmm. which you could win off of any of the spells that drew you into lots of cards. So whether it was Necropotence or whether mm-hmm. it was Ad Nauseam or whether it was um, reanimating Villas and you know, <laughs> um, paying life into something, uh, the idea with Shadow Bag was, okay, I've got some limited amount of mana and a lot of cards, what can I do to um, increase the the chances that I can convert that into a win? Because right. sometimes people would do an ad nause, and or especially if they did like a main phase ad nause, or they would do a necro for 30 and be like, well, um, this isn't great. <laughs> um, it, the, the idea with shadow bag, and, and, and if people aren't familiar with this, shadow bag is basically you, you're, you're using bone miser, which is kind of like the 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 mono black inverse waste knot. It's a it's five fantastic. Mana, yeah, it's a, it's a five mana creature. It it's it it inhabits a style of play that's very similar to Gitrog, mm-hmm. um, where if you've got a a discard outlet, then um, a lot of the same sort of tricks that you can do that you can do with Gitrog, where if someone tries to interact with you and you just 
decide to discard again over the top of them and continue going. Um, a, a lot of those same kind of things um, apply. But the idea is that um, because of the fact that you can choose with Bone Miser what it is that you're going to discard, as opposed to with Waste Knot, when people play Waste Knot, they'll, they'll do Waste Knot and then do a Wheel of Fortune, and it's kind of like a roll of the dice because they right. don't know what it is that other players are holding. They don't know what they're going to discard if they're going to do some sort of like, you know, mass discard spell or something like that. Um, because you can choose to say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to discard a land here so that I know that I get two black, and then I'm going to cast this other card from my hand and then discard something after that, you know, you, you can piece together the, the a chain to win a lot more deterministically. Right. Um, and then the, the shadow and bag come from bag of holding and uh, shadow of the grave, which both basically just take a look at however many, whatever mm -hmm. cards you've discarded up until that point, um, you return all of them back to your hand and you can keep going. It's, it's, it's absolutely kind of a, a, a fringe combo. Um, but it, it, it has, it's, it's, it's very powerful. Um, if it's piloted capably, Yeah. but, but anyway, um, the, the idea was, uh, this was an interesting combo and I found in mono black Yawgmoth that it, it really Im Im improved the post Nas or post necro of, mm -hmm. you know, effectiveness of, of the deck. And, um, I really, I liked it, but I didn't like the fact that it was in mono black. <laughs> so it was like, well, okay, so what, what can we do if we want to maybe transplant this apparatus into something else? What would be a good place for that to go? So this is, instead of starting with a commander, we're starting with a combo. Now we want to find the right home for that combo. So you want to think of, okay, well, what colors would be good? So in this case, it only needs mono black, but you know if we if we put it in a context that has blue, then it's going to have you know some some better protection. If it's going to be in green, then um, some of the aspects of it that are for tutoring creatures are you know that's going to be more you know a little bit more refined than it was, and so on and so forth. So then I kind of trans transplanted that into Hapatra, which is yeah. the, um, the the little uh, snake god, um, and she you know, brings to the table the, um, she, she brings a lot of creature tutors, which are, are useful for being able to either, you know, get boon, uh, a bone miser into your hand or, you know, get them, you know, cheat them onto the table and that kind of thing. Uh, but it also has crop rotation, which <laughs> is crop rotation into emergence zone is very, very good with, with necropotence. Um, right. because it, Rather than playing Necropotence with Shimmermer or something like that, being able right. to cast all of your spells instead of just your your artifacts uh, winds up being being pretty good. Um, who would have thought? Yeah, yeah who would have <laughs> thought? So, um, but so you know, you you can if you you look at the the the, the lists. I, I had probably five or six lists over the course of yeah. two or three months where I was just trying that combo in different housings with different colors to see what worked really and right. and that's that's a thing that i th i think is that it's a good practice for everybody to try um mm -hmm. you, we we have something in and we we were tweeting about it a little bit actually earlier today where 
and and not just in CEDH, you see this in all all the magic right. communities, but CEDH especially, there's kind of like this elitism of, you know, well, no, that's not good enough or right. know, that's that's never going to work. That's not going to pan out. Um, and also this this idea of uh, it's it's called functional fixedness, which means that things are only they can only be used for this one purpose. Right. And um, it's it, it, it's a kind of a pigeonholing way to think about things. And it limits your creativity in trying to do something that's in a new context. Um, people aren't going to invent new things right. if they decide to not even try it because they've already, you know, before even starting, they've decided that it's not going to work. Right. So you, you have to be open-minded to try things that are likely to fail. And sometimes what happens is the thing that you were trying along the way winds up, you know, revealing something else that you right. didn't set out to try to discover. Um, that, that started, uh, happened with curiosity. Um, like before the curiosity control decks came out, there were, um, a, a bunch of, curiosity decks that had to do right. with, uh, you know, firebrand archer and reckless fireweaver and stuff like that, which were just, you know, almost like memes that I was trying in a couple of different decks. One of them was actually a flash Hulk deck <laughs> and one of them was a <laughs> Nekusar deck. And I mean, no, I don't play that deck anymore because it wasn't great, but it wound up spawning other ideas right. that, I mean, that I was able to carry through to other things, but then other people also, well, okay, maybe, you know, maybe we can use this a little bit. And you have right. other lists that, that materialize um, that, I mean, they're, they're using these little, little pieces of things that people tried from, from way back when, because they revealed stuff that actually wound up being good. Right. So once you kind of come up with um, an idea like that, so whether it's, you know, I want to build around Eureka. Or I want to build around curiosity or I want to make a farm deck. Mm -hmm. um, when you're starting to now come and you're going, OK, how do I actually win the game? And I feel like everybody just kind of defaults to, oh, well, if you have blue and you have black, you can play Boss's Oracle and Demonic Consultation. Um, but, you know, so outside of that, you know, so what is it that you really do to like find the win conditions and all those things. So depending on the, the, the kind of deck that you're playing, you're going to have kind of a, a different density of the kinds of things that you want to be doing. So uh, in Advantage Thrasios, for instance, the, the goal of the deck is to be all about interacting with what everybody else is doing. It's, you know, the, if, if there was right. a, like a thesis to the deck, it's always have an answer. <laughs> and you know, you, you're you're all in on getting as much advantage out of Thrasios as you can, and right. then just keeping your hand stacked with all of the interaction as possible. So the idea in in a deck like that is, well, I'm want I want to run way more. I want to commit a lot more slots to interaction right. than you might in your normal deck. You, you can you can think of it kind of like there's kind of the the, the benchmark, if you look in the database for kind of the, the, the number of counter spells people tend to play and the number of rocks people tend to play and so on and so forth. And you kind of got this kind of like um, middle of the road 
benchmark for uh, what is typical. And then you can shift slots in favor of one thing or another, mm-hmm. depending on the, the, the style of gameplay that you want. So for Advantage Thrasios, you're, you're, you're pushing that number of slots that are committed to interaction higher. Right. And then, well, now you need to reclaim the slots that you've committed to that from someplace else. And uh, one of the ways that you can do that is by choosing win cons that are also interaction. And right. it, it used to be, you know, long ago that you kind of like, well, you had your combo pieces and you had your win cons and they were always things that were separate from mm-hmm. the, the nuts and bolts of how you protected that combo and how you interacted with the rest of the table. And part of that is just, we've got cards that have been printed like <laughs> finale of devastation where it's like, Oh great. This is a utility card. This brings creatures back from the grave. It tutors creatures out and Oh, it does also everything is you want it to do. Right. So rather than having a, a combo piece that, that does nothing until you're, you're ready to combo out with it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the storm spell that is oh, uh, two, um, two black, shot. black, or sure. Grape shot is one of them where, you know, if you're not ready to use it, it's a, it's a dead card and you're not going to. Oh, you're talking about tendrils. Out. Yes. Okay. Tendrils. Thank you. Um, where, you know, that was, that was a card that people ran and they don't need to, to do that anymore because right. we've gotten cards that have been printed since then that allow us to really, really, um, you know, rein in the number of slots that we have committed to winning. Right. to committing more and more slots to being able to keep interactive with what's happening mm-hmm. at the rest of the table. And I, I, I just want to say with the printing of opposition agent, oh my that is going to, I, I think require a shift in people's deck building philosophies mm-hmm. because if you are caught unawares that card on its own, depending on how you've built your deck. If you've built your deck in a way that Oracle is your only win con, for instance, mm-hmm. and you have nothing else, uh, you know, everything else is are, are layers of ways to get to Oracle in different manners. If you happen to do a vampiric tutor and then someone snipes your vampiric tutor and orphans your Oracle, right. um, you know, you're that, that's, that's not a great place to be. So, there's there's kind of this this pendulum swing of being able to be greedier and greedier with the the way that you are allocating your slots and um, cards getting printed that punish people for being greedier and greedier with the way that they're allocating their slots. Well, and you're going to you have to respect the two in a black anytime it's sitting up. Absolutely. And uh, the biggest thing for me is I'm just like, I mean, is Imperial Seal good anymore? Like, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I, what I would say is tutors are still going to be good. Tutors are always going to be good. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's on the one hand, like I was saying, it's going to impact the way that people build their decks just because they're, they're going to be more prone to punishment right. when they get caught. Um, that's just one piece of it, though. It, it doesn't mean that people aren't going to run tutors. It just means that people are going to play their tutors differently. They're going to be right. more conservative. They're going to be a little bit less cavalier about, you know, looking around the table and saying, well, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to fire off my, my tutor here um, because there's this possibility that, okay, that person has access to black mana mm-hmm. 
and you know they've they've you know m- most if you look at it today okay if you if you know that somebody is on blue and black and they've got four mana open a lot of times you can kind of smell that there's a notion thief coming right <laughs> when there's a notion thief on its way people people can i mean you can tell and um i i think that people will gain that same sense with opposition agent as well so we're looking at these these cards and these the interaction slots and all these things and one thing especially when we're talking about this because i i think it's important because i know when i started it was a lot i didn't understand this difference of the difference between a win condition and a combo sure uh, a lot of times people will 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 pair those together because you know once someone has started their combo that's when they win but right. um uh, the the combos are the 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 set of cards that when they come together they cause you to be able to end the game right. but they're not necessarily the thing that wins you the game so for instance leonin relic warder and animate dead that right. creates an infinite combo where you've got an infinite number of sacrifices taking place an infinite number of creature enter the battlefield you know, effects take place and so on right. and so forth. But on its own, that doesn't win you the game. It just postures you to be able to win the game if you have something that maybe draws you a card whenever something gets sacrificed or, right. you know, uh, something that removes, you know, you know something that, that, you know, gains life or removes life when creatures die or something like that. So uh, understanding the, the actual win con that you want is is useful to help you to choose maybe the 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 most efficient. And when I say efficient here, I mean um, card efficient, as in most compact right. number of slots. Uh, win you know win apparatus, we'll say, and that's combo right. plus win con. And this you know you you a few minutes ago you you said, well, are you are you playing blue and black? Then you might as well run right. you know oracle consultation i mean well absolutely there's it's it takes three slots up in your three deck. slots in your deck and it's a it's a combo and it's a win con you know it's 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 everything that you need it to be hyper efficient both in slots and in mana cost and it doesn't require any state and that's right. a that's another key uh key piece to keep in mind when you're thinking about um which which combos you want because you want your your combos to be executable kind of uh, given a moment's notice you know you've right. you've, you've got you've got the, the the cards in hand you want to be able to 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 win um, and and that's kind of the reason why you don't really see isocrine scepter and dramatic reversal right. as much as you used to because well that's not a zero state combo that requires a, a good amount of setup. To, mm-hmm. and it's and it's non you know non deterministic to to be able to say oh I've got dramatic reversal in my hand um, now all I need is ice receptor and I'm good no <laughs> you also need <laughs> to be able to have positive right um, and you that that brings in an, another layer of the 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 surfaces that you expose to other people to interact with right so isocrine scepter and dramatic reversal once you have your scepter in play 
and you want to start your combo, the the surfaces that you're exposing to your, your opponents are, well, there's a spell that I'm putting on the stack that I need to have resolve over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, if somebody can either limit the number of spells I can cast or someone can counter my dramatic reversal or someone can turn off my ability to activate artifacts, mm-hmm. all of those things are going to shut off that, that, that combo right there. People with removal can remove Isra Conceptor hey, in response. I have lost to an abrupt decay on the Isra Conceptor plenty of times. <laughs> People can remove the, the, the rocks that are, or the rocks or the dorks that are allowing you to be mana positive as well. Right. So there's, there's all of these different surfaces that people can interact with to stop that combo. When you have something like Oracle plus consultation, what are, what's, what, what surfaces do you have there? Well, <laughs> you need to be able to cast two spells. So rule of law does hold that up quite well. Right. Um, and you need access to three mana and you need to have those, those, those spells resolve. So if people don't interact with those spells while they're on the stack and you are able to get a creature enter the battlefield trigger and no one has a torpor orb or something like that, then, well, there's there are no other surfaces for people to interact with. Right. So it's going to be highly resilient to people trying to stop it and mm-hmm. it's efficient. So it's it's the, the perfect storm of, of everything that you want to have in a win con, right. um, which is why you see it so much. Because if you have the choice, I mean, if you're in blue and black, it's it's a, a little bit dishonest intellectually <laughs> to to choose something else right. for no other reason than well, it's 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 not Oracle combo. So when we're when we're looking at you know the whole deck, you know we're we're building our deck. We've got our combo. Uh, we've got our win con. We've got all these things. Um, so now, obviously, there's more to the deck than I have. My combo and win con and my commander. Uh, now I have, you know, 85 cards to fill. Um, right. How are we coming up with that? So um, what, what I do is, you know, I, I keep kind of some spreadsheets that I, okay. I just I, I keep on hand that are. You know, you know, just like, uh, you know, guys from playing with power, you know, you have there's a number of resources that are uh, out on the Internet where where people kind of have the their staples lists and, and things like yeah. that. Um, you know, I, I keep I keep a spreadsheet of the, you know, the 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 interaction that sees play and, you know, the the, the acceleration that keeps play, uh, the, the the tutors that see play and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth just as a starting point mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to, to kind of, to fill in the, the, the initial composition. Okay. So, um, and you're almost always going to take those kind of in, 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 in the order of, you know, casting cost, for instance, you're, you're going right. to be looking at things like, you know, swan song before you're looking at things like negate. And, um, the, the idea is you, you're, like I said before, where there's kind of like this this baseline of well, seems like most decks run somewhere between eight and thirteen counter spells. It seems mm-hmm. like most decks run somewhere between five and nine tutors. And like I, I I do go through the decks on the database and I kind of keep 
tabs on the numbers as far mm-hmm. as um, what what slots they're committing to what, and um, kind of use that as the baseline to, to to have like that first draft of okay, well this is this is the amount of interaction that I'm going to start with. This is the amount of tutoring I'm going to start with rocks and so on and so forth. Then um, once you're there, that's that's just the kind of like the the skeleton. Those are just kind right. of like the bones because every deck is going to need to have interaction. Every deck is going to need mm-hmm. to have tutors and, and so on and so forth. Um, from there, the the things that are special about the deck mm-hmm. are what are going to inform kind of the rest of what you're doing. So if you're on Anala, then that is going to suggest, okay, you're, you're going to start using maybe some wizards that... Mm-hmm wouldn't normally make the cut, but because of the advantage that you can get through the eminence ability, maybe, um, that will, you know, uh, embolden you to, you know, bring, bring in some of the, those, those cards because in that context, they can be really good. Right. And then you maybe if you're on Yarrick or something, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to, in, in the same way, you're going to look at cards that are something that is specific either to the commander or cards that lend themselves well to the um, like the patterns of play that you're trying to put together. So right. if you're, if the, the, the pattern of play that you're looking to establish is turbo NAS, then that's going to, that's it, going to inform the, the choices for the right. kinds of things that you're going to put into the deck. Um, Turbo Nas means that you're going to sacrifice some of your slots that are interaction slots, and instead you're going to commit those to faster acceleration. You're going to have higher density of, of uh, rituals. You're going to have higher density of rocks that are, or ways of generating mana that are, you know, uh, zero state so that you can, that so that either you can get your NAS off the ground faster, or once your NAS has completed, you don't have to have any mana left over to be able to continue going. You right. start from zero and keep going. Um, but the you know the the constraints that come from the type of game that you want to play will inform the choices that you make as far as the what what cards you're you're gonna also add into the mix beyond just the skeleton right and also those things as well will will and will push some of those things from the skeleton out so turbo nas okay so you're probably not going to have 13 car- counter spells you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna take down some of those counter spells and you're gonna try to reduce your your average cmc as much as possible so that you can get right. the most profitable nauses that you can so that's going to push out some of the, the 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 cards that are more reactive, it's going to push mm-hmm. out the cards that are higher CMC in favor of things that are lower. Um, so th- th- those are the kinds of things that will dictate the uh, kind of the ebb and flow of what content you have inside that list. Right. And sometimes, you know what i I don't feel bad about looking at EDH rec. You know, if hey, yeah. if if if, if if, if somebody said, hey, can you put together a Calamax list? Mm-hmm. Because his, you know, his copying ability has some interesting things that we want to try to explore. Okay, 
I have no problem going to EDH rec and seeing what, what are other people doing? You know, what, what kind of, what kind of cards, even if there's a card that only really is going to work in casual, mm-hmm. it might trigger something when you see it. Oh, wait a minute. There's, there's like a way <laughs> far, you know, there's a more optimal way that we could do this with this other card that they're not considering, but we could do it in a different That's way. A- that's uh did you see the I, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or not. I posted it. Um I was looking for different like combos and stuff earlier today. And uh, I was on EDH rec and I was like, what blue white combos are out there? I don't even know. And I saw the Shabraz, the Sky Shark, and yep. uh and Drog Skull Drog Skull Re- Reaver. Mm-hmm. And Oh my uh, goodness, that's the seven mana white and uh blue yeah. that has double strike and whenever you gain life draw a card yep oh my. and so those two you'd literally just draw your deck and i was sitting there and i was like what if i played sneak attack with that right and then you just like threw it in like there's probably a better way of doing that but sure um like the, that the, was the something i thought there, was hilarious right the, the idea there though is just because someone who is coming from a casual mindset is coming up with the idea doesn't make it a bad idea right and it doesn't even mean that it's not an idea that can actually bear fruit in a more competitive metagame. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, EDH rec, if if you're if you're if you're looking for something that's like off the wall. Um <laughs> but if you're if you're looking for something that is, you know, kind of more seasoned and more kind of established that you know is going to be something that's good for, you know, for for competitive, I mean looking at the 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 decklist database that you can get to yep. um from Reddit and from other places. I mean they're those those are the decks that are the decks. So looking at, you know, what what choices are they making for the counter spells that they're taking? Right. What are the choices that they're making for the acceleration they're choosing? What are their choices for which um, interaction pieces that they're including and which interaction pieces they're not including? Mm-hmm. That can help give you some insight into the stuff that works in different contexts, and um, that that context is important as well. So right. if, if, if you're, if you're wanting to play a stack stack, then you, you, you probably shouldn't start with, you know, the farm decks to look at the cards that you should be including, <laughs> but the, the farm decks will help inform the choices you make of how you can hate against those farm decks. Right. Um, but if you went and looked at blood pod, then maybe that's going to give you some, some better choices as to the things right. that might work well within that archetype. So you want to try to look at other decks that are of similar archetype and see the things that they're doing and which things will be appropriate for the deck that you're putting together. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally love that. And like, uh, and I know you've mentioned this before, but I mean, you even look at uh, MTG top eight and like goldfish and stuff like that too, to see like what legacy and all those people are doing. Yes. Yes, I do. Cause there's sometimes, um, there's just things that are the way that things have been done or the ways that things are currently being, you know, being done in death and taxes in, mm-hmm. in, in modern or in legacy, or, you know, the, the way that, uh, shops is approaching, you know, their, their gameplay in, in vintage today or five years ago, um, right. the choices that they were making, um, they're not going to translate verbatim into cedh but they can give you ideas of oh wait a minute i never would have thought of trying something like that right and 
um, that that's really the the idea there is to try to look for things that maybe we haven't tried out in a couple of years. And mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of times you'll have cards that either have fallen out of favor or that were really good and then for whatever reason, either something else got really strong or something mm-hmm. else uh, drew everybody's attention away. Um, people just stopped playing it, not mm-hmm. because it was bad, not because it couldn't compete, just because something else drew people's attention away from it. And mm-hmm. then you'll, you'll find, so like there was an era like a year or two ago when nobody ran Ristic Study. I remember that. That was so people, weird. The, 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 you know, the, the motherhood and apple pie kind of, you know, notion was that, well, everyone knows that, that Ristic study is not, not fast enough. You, you know, you three mana for something that isn't necessarily going to be able to, you know, generate some number of cards and people rationalized their way out of why they weren't including it. And now mm-hmm. it's a, a near universal include, even for really aggressive, fast decks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's merit in going and looking at, things that have worked in the past right. to see if the context has changed such that they can once again have a future. If that makes right. sense. No, that's really awesome. So now once we're, um, we've got all our stuff together, we've got our like initial lists, obviously it comes down to, we got to play test this. Right. Right. So, so, so what I do is um, before I ever actually play it against other people, I will do a lot of gold fishing and I, yeah. I'll, what I'll do is I'll just load it up into cockatrice. And when, when I say a lot of gold fishing, I will probably do between two or 300 runs of trying okay. to, trying to, you know, get to the, a desired game state. And, um, for every single run, I'll, I'll answer, um, what felt good. Well, for, mm-hmm. well first of all, the, the first is what was the win con? How did I win? Mm-hmm. So, um, just to see if, if you, if you roll through 50 times and you, you included two win cons in your deck and you used one win con, like 85% of the time, it might inform you that, well, maybe we should, you know, reinforce the lines more. Yeah. Let, let's, <laughs> let's just, okay. Let's, let's sculpt things a little bit more so that we're, we're able to do that more reliably since that seems to be the place that we're going to go anyway, or right. It, depending, you know, it could mean that, okay, is there a way that we could make pivoting between these two things more economical or more equitable mm-hmm. such that uh, maybe the other one sees play more often? You know, there, there may be reasons to, to go in either direction, let's say. So so how do you, and, and I even, <laughs> as a deck creator, how in the world, so, okay, let's say you're sitting down and you were um, goldfishing my deck, Lavinia, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is a thing I struggle with. How in the world? Because especially with a deck like this, that's so circumstantial. Every choice I make is, especially when I'm playing like thirteen counters, right? Is mm-hmm. based on what is the board state? What's going? I mean, how do you goldfish that? Okay, so um, one of the things that you can do is to kind of have an imaginary set of opponents. Okay. So. Um, what you can do is, okay, for, for, for this game, I'm going to imagine that I'm playing against two farm decks and a Godo deck or something like okay. that. And 
what you would do is for for you know every turn during that game, you're going to be thinking if if you're playing, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're you're playing uh, a stacks deck, for instance. Okay, <coughs> what am I doing against? What am I okay? What am I doing uh, to hold Godo off of winning? Right. And um, what things do I want to be doing every single turn to make sure that the farm players aren't playing the game that they want to play? Right. And I mean, it's it's not going to be the same as actually playing against people. But right. the the purpose of of gold fishing by yourself is to make sure that all of the lines of the deck have uh, cohesion and mm-hmm. that the deck itself functions efficiently right because there'll be times that you'll you'll be like oh man um that 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 line just it 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 felt really rough to to make that work and um like i was saying it, it whenever you finish a game you're you're gonna say what you how how you won but then what felt good as far as mm-hmm. like what cards felt good in hand and you were happy to see um what felt bad or was like, Oh, this, why am I seeing this in my hand? (laughs) And, um, which things were missing that you felt like you needed that had you had that you would have been able to combo out when you wanted to, or had you had that you would have been able to, um, have something to be able to stop the imaginary Goto player that was to your right. Um, by kind of keeping track of of all of those things, you'll, you'll, you'll see patterns that'll show up. Where mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, living plain felt really bad a lot of <laughs> a lot of the time, and um, you, you'll find yourself making it. It helps you to have the data to right. make choices. If a lot of people make choices based on gut, mm-hmm. and some people have really good gut sense, and that's mm-hmm. great. Um, I like to make my choices based on data, yeah. and. Um, by doing a lot of gold fishing kind of on your own mm-hmm. and being ruthless and being honest about right. what stuff works and what stuff doesn't, which things you need to change, that helps you to kind of get the, the, the deck into a state where it's, it's, it's ready to go against right. real people. So when you're playing it against real people, you're not trying to work out the kinks of stuff that you could already figure out. Right. Okay. So you figure out the kinks that you can on your own, on your own, and then that stuff has been resolved when you're taking it to play against real people. Then mm-hmm. when you're playing against real people, you can focus and not have to deal with, oh yeah, living plain feels bad. You, 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 don't, you don't have those moments. Instead, mm-hmm. it's, oh man, I wish maybe, maybe, maybe one or two more pieces of removal are needed. Uh, because I felt like I didn't have the removal as often as I needed to, mm-hmm. or you know those kinds of things, um, and, th- and that's a thing. I'll, I don't know how many people do this, but taking notes after games is that's just a good practice. So yeah, if you finish up a game and you know you won, or you finished up a game and you lost, you know taking some notes on, you know like what what, what did I learn from this. Mm-hmm. Um, will a make you a better player and B mm-hmm. give you insight into how you can maybe make the deck better. And so especially when, okay, so I want to play against people. Um, what is it that, you know, you do to play with other people? I will most often 
um, play with people on spell table currently. Okay. So I've got kind of a, a local metagame of, you know, people who live close by. Um, we don't play face to face, but we play on spell table. Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll also play, you know, with, with, with other people through, um, the, the, the organized games that take place on Nexus and, uh, through semi-organized games that take place on cockatrice as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, that, that's just helpful in general for playing, uh, CEDH mm-hmm. just because not every, you know, local game store is going to have a bunch of people right. that are maybe as devoted or as invested in CEDH. So if I you am really incredibly want to, lucky with that. <laughs> right. If, if you want to diversify the, the people that you're playing against, then, you know, using the internet as, as, mm-hmm. as a resource is, is the way to do that. Well, that about wraps things up for us here this week. Thank you again for tuning in for this visit back to our first episode all the way back in October of 2020. If you liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to rate this show on whatever podcast platform you are uh, listening on. And if you're listening on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and tell us down in the comments what your favorite part of the show was. I also would like to thank our top tier patrons, Justin, Adam Hamden, David Snavely, Dionysius, Graydon Goodenough, Jacob Turan, Jason Bialk, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. If you too would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the mind sculptors, I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time.